we have been looking at various attributes of God uh, in an ever-changing world. God is the one thing that doesn't change. He is a fixed point. He's an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. I really hope that this series has been an encouragement to you. Today we are going to hone in on God's holiness. Now holiness is one of those words that we use a lot in church, but it's, it's kind of difficult to define. To say that God is holy means that he is wholly other. He is totally unique, totally set apart from his creation. There is no one in the universe like him. The psalmist writes, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So God's holiness includes his beauty and his radiance. But it's not just God who's holy. People and places and objects can also be holy. A wedding dress is holy. <laughs> you don't wear it out to the ball game or to the movies. It's set apart for one's wedding day. Uh, fine china is holy. You don't use it on pizza night. <laughs> you use it only on the rarest of occasions, if you use it at all. Uh, and God is holy. You don't you know, slap God on the back and say, hey, what's up, homie? You, know, you stand in awe of him. The Bible gives us probably more images than descriptions of God's holiness. For instance, in the book of Exodus, God appears to Moses through a burning bush. It's bright, uh, it's glowing, it's dangerous, it's mysterious. When Moses gets closer, God says, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. And God's holiness is suffused with brilliance and mystery. It captures our attention and arouses our curiosity, but it can't be taken lightly or treated with familiarity. Uh, later on in Exodus, God appears on Mount Sinai. But before that, the people are told to spend two whole days cleansing and purifying themselves. And when the day comes, God descends upon the mountain in the form of a cloud with, with thunder and lightning and the, the earth shakes and the people tremble. It's, it's terrifying and, and awesome all at once. Well, today we're, we're looking at Isaiah 6. And it's, it, it's a tumultuous time in Israel's history. Now, the prophet Isaiah has a, a powerful encounter with God. And he writes, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were, were seraphim, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. What's happening? Well, look at the angels. They're, they're covering themselves in, in modesty and, and humility. And they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy. In Hebrew, repeating an adjective three times meant, okay, this is truly superlative. Okay, holiness is the very essence of God's being. In fact, it is the only attribute of God that gets repeated three times in the entire Bible. I mean, nowhere does it say that God is love, 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 
or grace, 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 or wise, 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 only that he is holy, holy, holy. So how does Isaiah respond? Look at the next verse. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Woe to me. Other translators say, I am undone. When Isaiah experiences God's holiness, he unravels, he comes apart. Why? Well, for one, <laughs> greatness is terrifying. You know, this is, this is, this is true uh, even on a human level. If, if you ever find yourself in the presence of, you know, a famous celebrity or athlete or a great leader, chances are you will be dumbstruck. You won't know how to act. You won't know what to say. You'll be nervous and tongue-tied. So, so greatness is terrifying. But that's not the only reason that Isaiah unravels. God's holiness reveals that our goodness isn't all that good. I'm undone. The glue that holds my life together, my, my self-concept, this, this idea that I'm good, is unraveling in the face of God's absolute goodness. And notice, you know, it's not, it's not that Isaiah sees God's anger and unravels or sees God's judgment and unravels. No, he sees God's beauty. He, see God, he sees God's majesty and perfection, his radiance and splendor, and, and that's why he unravels. Why? Because Isaiah begins to sense the immense gap between him and God. God's holiness exposes our sinfulness. We're creatures of comparison. We tend to console ourselves by comparing our moral worth to other people. We say, I'm not as bad as, as, as this person, or you know, I'm, I'm much better than, than that person. And this is why so many people are addicted to uh, social media and cable news because they offer us a steady stream of people that we can look down on so that we can feel good about ourselves. You know, I don't refuse to wear a mask like those people. I don't want businesses to close and deprive, and deprive millions of people of their livelihood like they do. You know, pick a team, pick a network. They will tell you all day long that you are right and that all those other people are wrong. But when you truly, truly experience God's holiness, all that self-righteousness falls apart. When we see God as he is, in all of his radiance and splendor, we realize that compared to him, our goodness is just filthy rags. When you see Jesus laying down his life for his enemies, you have to admit, I don't love like that. I mean, my love is inconsistent at best. It's conditional, it's calculated, it's self-serving, it's risk-averse. I don't love extravagantly like Jesus does. When you see Jesus say of his executioners, Father, forgive them, for they don't, they don't know what they're doing. You realize, I don't forgive like that. I curse people, I hold grudges, I, I can't let things go. When you see Jesus setting aside his privilege and his power in order to become a servant, 
you see Jesus leaving his heavenly palace in order to wash his disciples' stinking feet. Even those who would end up betraying and denying him. You realize, I don't humble myself like that. I mean, I, I cling to what I have. I, I stand on my rights. I try to get other people to serve me. God's perfect holiness exposes our sinfulness and self-absorption. Rosaria Butterfield says, conversion is like a train wreck. It jumbles you up and leaves you feeling undone before it ever starts putting you back together. When you truly see God, when you truly experience his holiness, all of a sudden, your goodness doesn't seem so good. Someone said, if you feel like you are a worse sinner now than you were last year, it may be because you see more of God this year than you saw last year. It may be because you're learning to compare yourself to God instead of comparing yourself to other people. And that's a good thing. A third reason that Isaiah unravels is because he realizes that his strength is actually weakness. Remember, he says, I am a man of unclean lips, which, if you think about it, is kind of a strange thing for a prophet to say. I mean, as a prophet, Isaiah's job is to speak forth God's words to the people. His lips are his ministry tool. But when Isaiah experiences God's holiness, he immediately realizes that even his greatest strength is a weakness. Maybe your lips, your voice, your gift of gab is your bread and butter. Maybe for you, it's your work ethic. That's what you take your pride in. Maybe it's your fashion sense. Maybe it's, it's the home you've created. Maybe it's the way you take care of people. Maybe it's your, your family stability or, or your business savvy. Whatever it is that gives you an identity, that gives you a, a purpose, that, that holds your life together, that gives you that, that sense of self, whatever it is falls apart with just one glance of God's holiness. The greatest thing about you pales in comparison to God's holiness. Now notice, Isaiah doesn't try to hide his sin. He doesn't try to cover up his weakness. He doesn't try to, to minimize it or make excuses. He doesn't say, yeah, we're kind of in a crisis right now. I mean, the king just died. Things have been a little crazy around here. He doesn't say, ministry's really hard, it's really stressful, I have to deal with a lot of rejection. He just says, I am undone. I am unclean. And there's incredible freedom in admitting our sinfulness and weakness. There's incredible freedom in just owning that and confessing it. Not hiding it, but, but putting it right out there. And we can, because of how God responds to us when we do. God's holiness is terrifying, but it's also purifying. A holy God cannot tolerate evil, but you know what? A loving God can't tolerate evil either. Why? Because evil harms God's children. It pollutes his good creation. So we ask, well, you know, can't God just get rid of evil? Of course he can. But here's the problem. Evil is not just out there. It's in here. It's in me. The line dividing good and evil runs right down the center of my own heart. So sure, God can destroy evil, but 
how can he do that without destroying me? Because evil is in me. How, how do you eradicate cancer without killing the host? It takes a surgical strike. So in the Old Covenant, before Jesus, Israel practiced animal sacrifice, which I know seems really strange to us, but for them, it was a powerful symbol of God's grace and justice. The animal dies in my place as my substitute. The animal's blood covers over, atones for my sins so that I don't have to die. And that act of worship, that act of making a sacrifice reminds me that God is holy and that my sin is toxic and deadly and has to be destroyed. Well, fast forward to the New Covenant. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus made atonement for us on the cross. His blood covers our sins. He is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. So what does this have to do with Isaiah? Well, listen, listen to verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What's happening? He's cleansing Isaiah. He's purifying him. Now, we might resist the idea of a holy God, but only a holy God can cleanse us. See, God loves you with a holy love, and that means two things. It means that he loves you just the way you are, and it means that he loves you way too much to leave you that way. He wants to make you just like Jesus. He wants to make you holy. So he intervenes. Jesus compares God to a master gardener who prunes our lives so that we can become more fruitful. He cuts off the parts of us that don't fit, that don't bear fruit, which can be very, very painful. But the result is that we become more beautiful, more fruitful. The holy God loves us into purity. He covers us so that we can be in his presence. He closes the distance between him and us. He goes to work on us so that we can reflect his glory, so that we can be useful to him. Listen to verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. Isaiah only says two things in response to God's holiness. He says, woe is me. I'm undone. And he says, send me. I'm yours. The splendor and beauty of God's holiness both terrifies him and ravishes him. It unravels him and compels him. It creates both distance and attachment. The humility to confess his sins and the humility to serve. Isaiah is saying, yes, God, I want to do your will. Isaiah is becoming holy. 
There's an entire book of the Bible dedicated to holiness. It's the book of Leviticus. And if you read the book, you'll see that a lot of the book is about very ordinary things. Tables, pots, utensils, just everyday things. And so you might wonder, how can a pot be holy? Well, the point of Leviticus is that it, something is holy if it belongs to God. Something is holy if it's set apart for his purposes. So a table can be holy as long as it's used the way God wants it to be used. Just like a car can be holy, or a bank account could be holy, or an instrument, or a computer. Well, Isaiah is applying this very same concept to himself. He's saying to God, I belong to you. I am set apart for your purposes. Send me. Use me. And this is really important because a lot of people think that being holy means being moral. And that's actually not what it means. You could have uh, totally selfish reasons for being moral. <laughs> you could be moral just to avoid some negative consequences. You could be moral so that certain people will look up to you. You might decide to be moral so that you can look down on other people or, or fit in with a certain group. You can be moral and not be holy. You can be moral without God. Holiness is totally different. Holiness means that you belong to God and you are set apart for his purposes. Tim Keller tells a parable that goes like this. A single mother wants her son to have every opportunity. So she works multiple jobs. I mean, she sacrifices everything for her son. And along the way, you know, she teaches him virtues like honesty and, and thrift and patience and, and hard work. And the son grows up, goes off to college, he graduates, he gets a good job. And then one day he calls his mom and says, well, mom, boy, you raised me so well. I'm going to do everything that you taught me. But I don't really need a relationship with you anymore. I think I can take it from here. If you think, I don't need God to live a good life, I can do that on my own. That's a lot like the son saying, sorry, mom, I don't really need to have a relationship with you. My friend, if there is a God, and if that God took on flesh and lived the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died, then you owe him everything. That's why the Apostle Paul writes, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Jesus has ransomed you with his blood. His blood covers you. And therefore, you are not your own. You belong to God. Your life is now set apart for his purposes. Just as Jesus was set apart, just as Jesus gave himself for you, you are set apart to live for him. The Holy One wants you to know the joy of no longer living for yourself. He wants to rescue us from the claustrophobia, from the narrowness, from the smallness of spirit of a life lived for ourselves. He wants us to know the freedom of being so flooded with love and gratitude and wonder 
that we no longer put ourselves first, but instead give ourselves away. And to the degree that you see Jesus dying for you, that is the degree to which you will live for him. Only when you see Jesus giving everything up for your sake, setting everything aside to serve you, to put you first, to purchase your freedom, your forgiveness, your acceptance, will you be able to set aside your agenda, your kingdom, and adopt his? Holiness is an attitude of heart in which you look at God just like Isaiah does and say, here I am. Send me. Use me for your purposes. And that is a radically different way to live. Our Western culture says we're supposed to be independent. We're supposed to call the shots. We're not supposed to let anybody use us. We're supposed to look out for number one and stand on our rights and figure out what we want and then go get it. A modern person says, hey, tell me the rules so that I can get to work for myself. But a holy person says, God, I belong to you. I am set apart for your purposes. A holy life is a surrendered life. It's an obedient life. It's a life that says, here I am. Send me. Let's pray. God, uh, please do what it takes to bring us in touch with your holiness. Help us to see your beauty, your radiance, your majesty, your perfection. Help us to stand in awe of you. And as we do, to see ourselves more accurately, to confess our weakness, and allow you to go to work to purify us and make us more like Jesus. God, uh, humble us with your holiness that we might say with Isaiah, here am I, send me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sing with me this morning. Take my life. Take